Hello and welcome to the Big on the Inside podcast, a podcast from the ICC Nairobi Podcast Network. ICC Nairobi is dedicated to connecting people to God and to each other, challenging believers to Christ-likeness and changing the world. We have a mission to raise godly generations. On this episode, you'll get to hear from Pastor Gibson Anduvate, the senior pastor at ICC Nairobi. You'll also get to hear from some of his friends as they talk about what it means to lead in this new age. This podcast is for you if you are a seasoned leader or if you're an emerging leader. So welcome to the podcast. back to the Big on the Inside podcast season two. We are so excited to be back on the podcast. I am joined today with Steve Wangara and Pastor Gibson Anduvate, and we are continuing the conversation on unity. And more than anything, we hope that these conversations will empower you as well as embolden you to lead in the spaces that you are, whether you are an aspiring leader or you have been leading for some time now. On our last episode, we introduced this this whole season. We talked about unity and why it's important, how you can measure unity in your organization, and some things to do for us as leaders in order to change the culture in the spaces that we're in. I'm so excited for this season, particularly because I think it will give practical tools to any leader listening in order for us to change and be the change we want to see in the organizations and spaces that we're in. Today, we're going to talk about changing our mindset as leaders. Before we want to advocate for unity across the spaces that we're in, we need to, first of all, make sure that we are leading ourselves and we are able to deal with any bias or prejudice that we might have. But when we look back at the conversation we had on our first episode of this podcast, one of the questions that I think a lot of people might be wrestling with is how long is too long? We ended episode one talking about organizational culture and how to inspire or change organizational culture. So I want to start there today. I want to ask Pastor Gibson to start with us there and talk about how long is too long to change the culture of an organization. You know, that's uh, an, an interesting question. I think uh, the answer to that question defend, de, you know, depends on so many different variables. There's the aspect of how big is the organization? How long has this organization been uh, you know, in existence? The bigger the organization, the longer it will take. The, the longer this organization has been in existence, you'll find the more that people are you know, uh, used to a particular way of doing things, so the longer it will also take. Sometimes there's also the aspect of even age, you know, do you have uh, is what is the demographic of the kind of people that you that you that you're dealing with? I think we shared uh, in our last uh, episode about the whole you know aircraft carrier worship uh, kind of um, kind of model that if, in order for you to change the direction of that ship by a single degree, you probably need two people turning the rudder, and it's going to take 33 tons of that rudder for them to shift one. One, one single degree. And, you know, it's, it's such a complicated process that you actually need somebody there counting just to make sure that they get it right, you know, 33 tons and not 35 or 34 or 30. So you think about it, this huge ship, this big ship, but it's such a delicate process, just moving a single, uh, a single degree. And it's because this ship is so big, some of those carriers have uh, 5,000 people on them. They're carrying, you know, all these jets, you know, aircraft on them, helicopters. So it's such a delicate process. If you turn that ship around in a single moment, it, it's going to flip over. 
and that's how we have to think about organizations that when we are thinking about change we we are willing to have a you know a long term commitment that is not just something that we will do in the short term and be able to 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 get on with it but it's going to take time and for me actually the hardest part is not the doing the hardest part is the shift in mindset yeah how do you get people to actually buy in into the new way of doing things how do you get people to actually say you know we 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 are willing to let go of the old and we want to embrace a new way of doing the things that we do i love that changing mindset but maybe somebody is listening to this part of this conversation today and is thinking okay i've been waiting so is there a cap on waiting is there a cap on when i wanted to see the change for the past 5 years but i haven't been able to at what point would you advocate for someone jumping ship if we if we continue with that analogy let's just keep it with pastor gibson yeah i i go back to what what are you doing while you're waiting you see are you seeing the process as being externally driven or are you seeing yourself as a catalyst for the change to happen i'm a big believer that uh, you know one is not too small a number to to make a difference that one person can actually make a big difference when you think about the major movements shifts in the world you look at the very core and you'll find there was a single person who believed in that cause who believed in making a difference and they began to do something where they were and they began to make a shift you see as an individual you have to ask yourself who can i recruit into this tribe of change makers you know or people who did, who believe in things being done differently so i would ask the question while you've been waiting what have you been what have you been doing have you just been passively hoping that someone else will step in and uh, and make a difference or are you doing something i think about you know w- when you think about a tap that's dripping sometimes uh, there are these taps that are outside so the the tap has like a, a cemented uh, floor and the tap is on top and it's dripping and this dripping tap over time if you go and you look at that surface you'll find that this single tap dripping a drop at a time a tiny drop at a time eventually carves a hole into that into into the into the cement and so there has to be long term commitment but also there has to be consistency that i believe in this change so much that i'm going to stay the course even when i don't see the change maybe you've been there 3 years but what you're desiring to see is going to take 10 years so do you stop you know doing what you're doing because you can't see or do you continue and recruit others to come alongside you as you walk this journey that's uh, that's ahead of you possibly a question for young leaders like I <clears throat> where we have this vigor and energy to effect and see change um, so then maybe what what do you tell someone young uh, a young leader who has been in an organization and has had this exposure and seen things done this way and now enter into a space where they want to see change they are committed to the place of change but now i think what, what you're asking they've waited for an, a considerable amount of time how then do you probably encourage them to have that stay power to stay till the end of the course because you know we've been branded we are microwave generation we want to see changes immediately how how then do you how then do we speak to someone like that in that particular space where they have the consistency of waiting for the change and maybe the realization that sometimes change might take 10 years but it will happen or sometimes change might take 15 years or 5 years how then do you have that maybe the perspective of that or how do you encourage someone who is a young leader who sees that me a question to all of you maybe how do you encourage a young leader i think resource is important getting the tools necessary and someone to walk with you along the process is is really important because i think you can only see where you're at it's, it's sometimes it's you can only see 
you know, to the extent that, you know, you really can't see farther. And sometimes having a mentors or people who've walked the journey, who've led, who've waited for change in, in, in spaces that were maybe dubbed impossible to change, having someone there to encourage you and to keep just giving you the tools to equip you because it can get weary. I think wait, waiting is waiting is work. It's hard work to wait, specifically if you're doing the work and you're putting in the effort to see change and you're working on yourself and you're doing all the things and you're equipping yourself, whether educationally or getting counsel and all these things, therapy, but still not seeing movement in the spaces that you're in. You have to have outside forces speaking into you and saying it's possible. It can happen. But then I think also you have to count the risk. I think there's a risk factor to change. I think when when you're in a space where you are advocating for change and there's no movement and it's taking a toll on you emotionally to the point where your output is now being almost compressed or condensed because you are so emotionally invested in what you want to see. I believe that's when you might need to just take a step back a little bit and assess if it is worth the risk factor for you, for your health. That's as a young person, that's what I would say to another young person in, in a leadership capacity. But I think we also have to change this mindset where we've been hearing for a lot of times that there are organizations and industries that will never change. Um, and so we really have to do the hard work again to deal with that bias internally where we've said to ourselves time and time again, well, you know, the public sector will never change or we can't fight corruption in this country. So so that we start also speaking positivity into the space. But I would want to hear, Pastor Gibson wrote a book for young leaders. Yeah. So what would you say to, to a me that's saying, I want to jump ship? <laughs> I would say maybe praise, you need to write a book. <laughs> the things you just said, you know, you said some really awesome, uh, you know, things there, some rich nuggets, you know, you've shared. As a young leader, you're in this organization, you've been there for a while, you're getting frustrated, there's no change that's taking place. I think the first thing we need to say is, what is, what, what is the, you know, the level of dysfunction in that organization? Is it at a place where it's toxic, so it's unhealthy for you to continue to stay? I think that's what you're, you're, you, know, you pointed towards. That is it so toxic that it's unhealthy for you, yeah. even emotionally, to be there? You know, it's affecting your mental health. You, you know, you're no longer thriving. Yeah. Because if it's at that point, then you have to ask yourself, what are your options outside of the organization? You have to begin exploring, maybe making a shift, yeah. whether it's a change of uh, career direction, or moving into a different space where you feel that the kind of culture that's there, you know, is the kind of culture that you'd want to grow in and to be in. Because for me, I don't advocate for the whole, you know, where you wake up in the morning and you're going somewhere you don't want to be. Yeah, I believe where you work ought to be a place that you wake up in the morning and you're fired up. You're like, how can I contribute to the growth of this organization? So a toxic organization is on one extreme. Then there's the other extreme where it's healthy, it's vibrant, you know, everyone is you know, on board, things are working okay. Then there's the middle, the middle space. Yeah, well, yes, it's not all bad. There's some great things happening here. There's some people that care about me. There's people that are investing in me. There's opportunity for me to grow. But there's also a lot of opportunity to bring about change. So I would say, look at the challenge that you're confronted with as an opportunity to bring growth. Crisis is always a wonderful opportunity for leadership. Where there is crisis, there's always need for leadership. So as a young leader, if there are pockets of crisis in the organization, begin to ask yourself, how can you be at the front, you know, at the front of the movement of bringing about solutions to those points of crisis? And I think it goes back to what you said back and again and again, that we model. So yeah, as a young leader, you are confident enough in who you are. You've been in that organization long enough to know the people that are there. You begin to model what you aspire for. 
and what you always find is that there are always people there that are also aspiring for the same thing. So you begin to establish a cell of people that, that subscribe to a different way of doing, of doing things. But we don't take away from the vision because the other aspect of it is also looking at it and seeing in that organization, who are the gatekeepers? You know, who are the decision makers? Who are the people that they might not have the formal position, but people generally in the organization will listen to them. Who is it that has a voice that when they speak, they affect the culture of the organization? And so as a young leader, you need to begin to build bridges to those kinds of people so that you have the space to be able to have a seat at the table where you can share on the things that are a point of concern for you or areas where you're, where you're, where you're wearing. And how do you do that? You do that by supporting the vision. So you don't begin from a place of objection to the vision and you're hoping to build unity and change the culture. You, you support the, the vision of where you are. You support the direction that the organization is moving in. You champion the organization. As you champion the organization, you earn the right then to speak in those areas where there needs to be change. There are people who, you know, you, you're against everything. Yeah. You know, so, so you, you just, everything in the organization, you are critical. You know, so people never know when you're being critical and when you're giving feedback. Yeah, so you need to lead in such a way that the people in the organization know that you know you would do anything to be able to contribute towards the goals and the vision of the organization. You are sold out to the organization, and once they are convinced that you are sold out to the organization, and and, they are, and that they are convinced you are all in, then they will listen to you when you raise up grievances, because they they already trust your heart, and because they trust your heart, they can listen to what you. Owe what you're saying. So what I find is that sometimes young leaders, we don't spend the time to build a currency. You know, I, I sent a young man to go work a job in a, in a, in a company and uh, he got there and within the first one week, you know, he had given them a list of 10 things that they should stop doing or do differently. You know, your guess is as good as mine. He didn't last there very long because he went there really more to correct rather than first of all to appreciate what they were doing you know, to earn the right to speak into what was going on. And then from there, you would have been listened to. Because just because you are in the room and you are talking, it doesn't mean that people are, are listening and paying attention to what, you, to what you're saying. So when we communicate areas where there is need for change to take place, how we communicate is just as important as what we are communicating. The setting in which we communicate is also as important as what we are saying. So there are things that when we have issues with our senior leaders, we can either choose to confront them publicly, so you wait until you have a big staff meeting, and that's why you raise your issues with your managing director or with your head of department or you know your team leader, or you can just go see them privately and say, you know, I have a burden on my heart, something that really burdens me, and this is my, my burden. There's also the space of knowing how the hierarchy within the organization works, that there might be things that I cannot say to the managing director but I know a colleague who maybe is a team leader who is able to communicate those things. So we also have to earn the space to speak, to speak those things. Because once we earn the space or we know how to go about so the, I'm, I'm trying to talk about the whole place of that we have to be strategic. I think as young leaders, we have to be strategic in how we lead, strategic in how we bring about the change that we aspire, that we, that we aspire to see. So we, we can't just you know, go and shoot an email from the comfort of our desk and uh, write, you know, a whole uh, uh, article on, 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 yes, the things that need to happen. But we have to approach, it, approach the process from a place that is strategic, 
we have to think about what we want to see, think about the process, and then be able to engage with a long-term mindset of wanting to bring about the change that we want to see. And for sometimes, you've told yourself in an organization, am I committed to this organization for life? Yeah. Am I here for a season? Is this just a stopgap before I move to, you know? So then you choose your battles, you know? You choose your battles depending on what is your level of commitment and, and where you see yourself moving forward. That is so important and crucial for, for anyone listening, I believe, anyone who is advocating for change in the organization that they're in is the right to speak to you. Have you earned trust? Have you earned the currency to be able to speak? And are you just speaking to complain or do you really want to see the change that you're advocating for to be able to change? I think that is, is so well said, Pastor Gibson, knowing who the gatekeepers are and building the bridges so that when you do speak in those rooms, when you are invited and have a seat at the table, you can actually cause sustainable change as opposed to just talking about it um, with colleagues and it not being able to move forward. Our conversation today is centered around this idea and really a belief system that a lot of organizational psychologists have that we all have bias, that everybody is socialized in a very specific way. And when we talk about creating unity or being leaders in the spaces that we're in, one of the things we're talking about is we have to have the capacity to first of all lead ourselves. And we've talked about this even in season one of, of this podcast, this idea that you have to be the change you want to see. You have to be the person who's able to look in the mirror and look at all the characteristics that you are able to see in your organization being a part of yourself. But when we talk about changing mindset, it's very, very difficult because we've all been raised with certain things that we don't even know are a part of us. And so when we define bias, we're talking about an inclination for or against a group of people or a person in a way that is considered to be unfair. So that's like bias in a big picture uh, type of setting or definition. But when we talk about small biases is our belief that we can never change, our belief that things will never be better. We all have these small biases. So what are some of the ways you've actively, you've actively in the teams you've been a part of, either as a leader or just someone who's collaborating on a team, what are some of the ways you have dealt with dealing with your mindset and changing bias? What are some of those things that you can tell leaders today? This is how I've done it. This is how I overcame this bias. And maybe if you're comfortable sharing what that what that bias was, I'm going to start with Steve. Um, uh, so uh, I think it goes back to the whole thing about mindset. Sometimes biases based, are based on how you perceive things and think things. And again, as you said earlier, it's because you've been cultured in a particular way. And so from wherever you, it's a, from your home or the school you went to, there's a particular way things were done. And that forms a particular way in how you will do things. And so in, in terms of a team setting, I come with this preconceived notion that this is the way. Yeah, or or even how you are trained by the person who maybe who oriented you in a place of work. So when you're working, you do it the particular way you have been instructed. Um, I use myself as an example. I like following instructions to the letter. So when someone comes with a different thought or idea, I'll tell them that is how this is not the way I was taught, and so I won't have room for change. What I'm saying is this: I had a fixed mindset. So how do I have I dealt with biases? It's having the room to grow to rethink the things you've done, having the room to actually say this might be another way, might be another way of doing this thing. Because sometimes when you do something for a consistent time, for a long period of time, you get fixated because it's the easiest way, it's the fastest way, or it's most convenient for you. And you are less uh, open to contrary thoughts. And and, and, and in, in that way, it's a particular bias in 
your ways are based on how I perceive things or how I do things or how I prefer things to be done. So I think it's having the openness to grow differently, think differently. The yeah, openness of just seeing that maybe there's another way, maybe there's another angle. Google Maps gives you options. It says way one gives you 17 minutes, way two will give you 22 minutes, way three, it's longer, but it'll give you 10 minutes. Choose. But uh, if you don't have the liberty, I always go through Ayakiwi. And maybe there's Dennis Pritchard or something. Yeah. So I think that that option of thinking differently, allowing room for options. Yeah. Options are not bad. Yeah. Biases tend to really color the ways we see ourselves and even each other, especially when we're trying to work and move people towards the same, because we're talking about unity. So move people in the same direction. They have a way of really going against team, team collaboration and innovation in a team setting. So I like what you're sharing about being open to relearn and unlearn. But what about you, Pastor Gibson? Where have you seen bias in yourself as a leader? I think bias is everywhere. <laughs> You know, there's bias to take the same route yeah. to work every to just morning. Just do what you've always done. To take the same route yeah. back home. You know, the bias to spend time with the same people. You know, people. The the bias to you know when you have to make a decision, tend to go to the safe place of safety and comfort rather than the risk and innovation. There's uh, there's there's you know the bias just in terms of the tolerance of uh, you know tension conflict. And, and I think that every leader, each one of us has biases of one kind or another. And so we need to, for me, I believe, number one, have people around us that think differently from the way that we do. We need people around us who are different from us. Most of the times, leadership will surround itself with people who are similar. I normally say we don't need yes people around us. We need people who see things differently, who can say what if. You need some no's, you know, but you also don't need people who say oh, no all the time. You know, some people, the, the answer is always no. When they show up at a meeting, it's almost like they need to carry a placard, you know, because <laughs> already <laughs> whatever you say is just, no, let's just stay here. Uh, let's just stay here and, uh, and build the tents for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and let's not go back there, you know, to the, to the real world. So it's always no. But then there's, there's what if people. And for me, I love what if people. What if we did this differently? What if we talked to so-and-so? What if we were to look at this from a, different, from a different angle? So any leader needs to have around them people that are different from them. And so it begins all the way even when you're recruiting teams, that from the recruitment, you're recruiting people that are of different you know, capacity, that think differently, because you need to spice the organization with, uh, with, with, with those kind of people. So there's that bias of who have you surrounded yourself, yourself with. There's also the space of what are some biases that have become habits that are now affecting the culture of the organization. And there has to be forums that are opened up where people can openly share about what they see in the organization and the culture of the organization. Bias is second nature, you know. You, you do it for so long, it becomes a habit. It becomes part of who you think of yourself. This is who I am. But really, it's not who you are. It's just a habit that is so ingrained in who you are, a perspective that is so ingrained in your, in, in, in your mindset. So we need to have people around you that can challenge. I love, for me, working with young leaders. And one of the things I love about young leaders is that they, they bring a different perspective on the way things are done. And, and something could have been done for years, but then you just have somebody who comes and says, why do we do this? And so having the tolerance to engage in that tension of asking the whys, and sometimes the question doesn't need to have an answer. Right. Just 
the fact that you grapple with that question, you, you gain enough just from the grappling of the question than even being able to answer. And so I find that many people, we get frustrated when we can't give the answers to the wise, but we don't really have to have the answers. It's in the tension of trying to navigate through the why, where we recreate and really talk about and, uh, and, and, and talk about culture. There are also sometimes gender bias, you know, that you'll find in most organizations that top leadership is mostly male-dominated. And I think there has to be a very intentional focus of allowing to, women to be in, in those rooms, you know, you, allowing the, the ladies to have a seat at the table. Because we need a different mindset, a different perspective. There are just some things that when you put men in a, in a, in a room around a the table, they don't see, yeah. Yeah. you know. But when you have a lady there, they, they will see a, a, yeah, the perspective is so much... Is so much uh, is so much broader, so I think that those are all things that all of us need to be aware of when we make decisions. How do those, those decisions affect the people who are not seated in the room? You know, because most of the times we think about us and how does this decision affect us. But what about the guy who never will sit in that room? The guy who has no voice at that at that uh, at that level? How do those decisions then impact on that on that uh, on that person? Do they feel that they are known, that they are cared for, that they are that they are loved? Because that will then contribute whether they feel apart yes. or whether they feel that they are not apart. Yeah. yeah. Bias is often the power of thinking without thinking. And so I love the idea that we've kind of covered the, the part of it that we all have it. It's a part of us, whether we recognize it or not. And it's, it's interesting because when you have done something for so many years or observed people above you and uh, you know beneath you, everyone who's working in the spaces that you're in, do something consecutively over some time, there's this feeling that this is how we've always done it. And so my question then becomes, how do we work hard? And, and Pastor Gibson has mentioned having people around us that are calling out the biases in us and causing us to think about things differently. But how do we intentionally work hard at ensuring that we are constantly holding a mirror to ourselves and asking ourselves, is, is this what I intend to do? Because there are many people who have never noticed that they are biases in the spaces, in the spaces that they work with. Um, psychologist Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist as well as a professor of business at Wheaton College, talks about five common workplace cognitive biases. So these are things that we're doing unconsciously. And the first one is anchoring, and that's the tendency to rely too heavily on the first piece of information you heard. So whatever was said first to you, you just that's where you landed. And a lot of us do this technically in our everyday life and then the second one is confirmation bias and that's the tendency to interpret new information based on what you already believe so because I already believe Steve to be good anything that I'm told even if it's contrary to my first belief of Steve I can't I can't open a space to believe that and then we have group think which is what Pastor Gibson was talking about when you have a group of people around you who all feel the same sort of like feel think about things the same way and so they can't hold space to have any new information given and so there's conformity or but people actually think group think is harmony when everybody thinks the same way that's having a team around you that's just yes man everybody says yes and then there's the halo effect which is the tendency of someone to overall have an impression of of a person that's either good or bad but it's only influenced by how other people think about them so because society has said this person is a celebrity my interaction with 
with that person will only be through that lens. And then the last one or the fifth one is overconfidence. And that's the tendency for someone to believe that his or her judgment is more better or reliable than any other information. So these are constantly at play. All these cognitive biases are constantly at play in the spaces of influence that we're in, whether we are a worker, whether we are a leader in those spaces. And what tends to happen is we are not constantly aware of these biases because they just work around us each and every day. And when we think about unity, these five common biases tend to kind of suck us out of creating that unity in the spaces that we're in. What would you say to a leader? What is something that we can intentionally do to ensure that we're constantly aware of the decisions we're making or even how we are receiving information? What would you say, Steve? Let's start with you. <laughs> I think, first of all, you have to be aware of those biases. I think because sometimes if we are not aware and now create systems and measures around you that will make you constantly aware of the biases that you have. Okay, I think that's the only thing because uh, many of those things like cognitive bias or halo effect, that uh, there are things that happen and you're not conscious of it. So I, do you have people or do you have a system around you or within you that makes you aware whenever I say something like... Uh, Oxen, because I'm seeing oxen in my video, that it'll remind me that, okay, this is a bias I have. Or, or do I have a system around me that will make me know that I am working in a particular kind of bias in, the, in my decision-making process? Do I have people in the decision-making process that I have that will point out in spaces where I think here is a, an, a space of overconfidence? So this is a halo effect because you're viewing this person this particular way. Or this is a place of, of cognitive bias. Do I have uh, questions I ask myself uh, to always cause a, a, a need of introspection whenever I make a decision or whenever I make a movement that I might feel or sense that I am moving in a way of bias or not. I think that's, that's, that's the major thing is how do you make yourself aware? How, create a system around you to make yourself aware. Is, is it a set of questions? Is it a group of people that you will have that will always give you a different perspective? I think what pa 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 Pastor Gibson had mentioned. Do you have people around you who will always give you a different perspective or question whatever you're, you're doing? Do you question whatever you're doing? I think that's, that's awareness is the key thing, I think. So, so we're not overconfident yeah, yeah. in what we've been doing? Yeah, because we've been working so far. Yeah, but, but I have a question. Well, after Pastor, but how do you then, because the thin line between knowing, because you always advocate for being sure of what you do. So, how then do you draw that thin line between overconfidence? I don't know, being sure of your set of skills and overconfidence as he responds to awareness as well. Yeah. For me, I, I would say every leader, every leader needs to have access to unfiltered feedback. So when, you, when a leader sits in the room, you have to make sure there's somebody in the room who is safe enough with you to tell you what you don't want to hear. Unfiltered feedback, it's so key because that way you're able to see aspects that are sometimes even hidden from you because I, don't, I, I always say, I don't think there's any leader who wakes up in the morning and they say, you know, today I'm going to make this day horrible for my team. I'm going to make it difficult for everyone that's around me. I want to believe that most leaders, they really want to do what is best for the organizations, best for the people that are around them. They want to serve the vision of the organization. But sometimes there's just aspects of our leadership that we don't see. You know, we have those biases sometimes we are not aware of, as Pastor Steve is saying. So is there someone in the room? Do we intentionally make sure there's someone in the room but is so safe with us that they will come and tell us 
you know that that then filtered feedback that kind of feedback that sometimes as leaders we don't want to we, we we don't want to hear you know and and i believe that that's an important asset the other way to look at it is on a daily basis leaders need reflection and introspection so on a daily basis if it's at the end of the day or sometime in my day i have to look back on the day the different things i've done the different decisions i've made the people that i've interacted with and then i ask myself when i think about that moment what could i have done differently what can i learn and take away from that from that moment when you're leading a team leading a project making time for reflection making time for introspection you know and just being able to set apart time to think through what what is the what, what you know what are, what is the impact of your decisions and from what basis from what place are you making those are you making those uh, those uh, th- th- those decisions so i agree with Steve that there has to be a system in place where we are able to help ourselves to do better yeah the comfort there's a comfort and bias that we don't often talk about um whether that is in and, and, and i think when we talk about bias or have conversations like this it sounds so big picture it sounds so far fetched or philosophical but really there's a comfort in just doing what you've always seen done there's a safety in i we've always done this in my family or in in this country we've always done things this way and there's a comfort that comes in doing things the very way that you've seen them done before and maybe for anyone listening today one of the things one of the ways to define bias for yourself would just be comfortability what are the areas that I'm comfortable seeing or people so some of us have only seen men be in leadership so we are more comfortable when hiring to hire a man versus a woman pastor gibson has already shared about gender bias and the intentionality of having to break that comfort but for a lot of us as as Kenyans as Africans one of the things we deal with is a tribal bias and we can't have this conversation without having the conversation on tribal bias because that's something that affects us at at different levels all the time and and it's subconscious it's happening without us being intentional and giving it permission to happen but when we speak specifically about tribal and and we've mentioned a bit about gender bias but I want us to also talk about it what are ways leaders in spaces of influence can really be very cognizant and aware of those two biases in order to create safety and to create an environment where we are constantly moving in that direction because we don't have these beliefs in a vacuum our culture has incentivized us or we've seen things happening or leadership going in a specific narrative so how do we then start to interrupt the process in the spaces that we're in especially if we are influential but also have a group around us whether that's the board or anyone around us and we can't just make that decision of ourselves how do we start to change tribal and gender bias in the spaces that we're in i think when i when i think about that uh, whole space the first thing that comes to mind is exposure that you have to expose yourself beyond the four walls that you existing and when i'm saying four walls i don't just literally mean physical walls i mean also when when you think about the organization you have to expose yourself beyond the culture of your organization you have to expose yourself even beyond your own tribe and culture you know for for some people i find that maybe you went to a school where people the majority spoke you know one 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 language you went to a university that is you know you are part of you go to college and then you get these groups of people that come from where you come from and you associate with them the most so you you can grow up but your level of exposure is is so limited and that then hinders your effectiveness as a leader so how do you expose yourself to other cultures to other settings i always say that uh, you can learn from your mistakes but you can also go and be exposed to other people 
and look at the things they've done wrong and things they're doing right. Both you can learn from the mistakes, but also you can learn from experiences of what they're doing right. So exposure is, is, is a great antidote, you know, to some of the challenges that come with our, our whole cultural, you know, uh, bias and, and some of those gender bias. So ensuring that we invest not only in our own exposure as leaders, but also the exposure of those that we, of those that we, that we lead. In particular aspects where you, you find yourself getting caught up in a pattern, I would say you need to find a model or somebody who is leading in what you aspire to. So you, you have a, a mold that you've gotten caught up in, but you aspire to do things differently. Is there someone that maybe is a captain of industry or somebody that's leading you know, at a much higher level in that specific space that you can then be able to learn from and even come alongside them, either in a mentorship relationship or could be even a coaching relationship that they're able to work with you. Because there are also aspects where this can actually be a space where you just need somebody else to grow with you. And it can be done at an interpersonal level, but there can also be a professional, you know, maybe a coach that comes alongside you just to provide that support to help you to be able to move beyond where you are. But I believe that it's so important that we don't have circles of people who are just, you know, exposed to the same things that we're exposed to, but we have circles of people who are different from us. Yeah. Yeah. I like that the willingness to do the work, to actually do the work, not to make it performative. A lot of organizations now from Google to Microsoft have what they call a diversity, inclusion and equi equity specialist on board to do exactly what Pastor Gibson is talking about. Someone who is actively engaging in the hiring processes, the training process of the organization to help management or top leadership move away from their own personal biases they have come from, from a lack of exposure. So I love the idea of getting to meet different people, not just to meet them, but to actually expose yourself to different ideas, different ways, different ways of doing things. Steve, anything that's worked for you with dealing with tribal or gender bias? I think exposure also, and I think now from a leadership position, I think because you have the opportunity to make decisions, it's included in your decision making that in my hiring process, I will not hire from, a, I mean, I will have diversity in my hiring that I, 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 I put as clause of policies in terms of how I hire, who I hire. Uh, gender ratio, whatever you choose. And also even in job allocation, because I think there's also bias in, sometimes we tend to leave, give women this particular kind of jobs because we think it's what women do and forget maybe men can do better and vice versa. So I think it's having, a way to interrupt it is in the policies you have as an organization that after a certain number of years, we change. After a certain number of uh, things, we change. Yeah. After a certain number of things, we change. So I think that's a way to help you interrupt whatever biases you have because it is affected within the culture and the policy of the organization. I think that's a way that can work, that might work uh, for, for you as a leader. I like that. We've mentioned this a little bit, but as we as we land this conversation on how to change our mindset as leaders before we advocate for unity in the spaces that we're in, how do we create a learning environment around ourselves? Because that's that's a lot of what we're talking about today when we talk about bringing people alongside our journey that will hold us accountable, making sure that we are exposing ourselves to different perspectives or different ways of doing things. How do we then create a learning environment? How do we create a culture where we are open to relearning that it, it is not the way it was last year, has to be the way it was this year. But also hold the tension well with we do need consistency, especially as in a, in a, if you're a leader and leading any organization, there is need for consistency. So how do we hold this tension well of saying as leaders, we need to create a learning environment where we are always willing to question our own belief systems, our own, our own practices and habits, but then also create consistency. Pastor Gibson, what would you have to say to that? Praise there has to be the conversation around those things. 
what we, what is it that is is constant the vision of the organization is constant the mission of the organization is constant there has to be a conversation around what are those aspects of who we are that will never change regardless of where we are or the setting that we are in and then there also has to be a conversation of what is it that can change so there has to be that communication of this uh, this is who we are this is who we want to be and these are areas that are always open to change because i think sometimes those things are never verbalized you know there's never that open communication and conversation over what is the essence of who we are what is the essence of who we do our core values at the very core this is who we want to remain but how we do the message will remain the same but how we communicate the message the method and the process it's always open open to change you see so i think having the conversation is key modeling the learning process sometimes senior leadership or those that are over teams you know hardly share what are the things that they are learning or what are the, you know areas that they are feeling challenged and when you think about it for me vulnerability is such a key tool when you want to bring change in an organization just the space of saying this is an area that i've struggled and this is how i'm navigating through that struggle and this is what i'm learning through the process because when we open the door to vulnerability it helps the people in the organization actually realize okay we are all normal <laughs> i thought this was only me i thought maybe i was the only one who was struggling to fit in i thought i was the only one who was struggling to adapt to this culture i thought i was the only one who was struggling with the way we are doing things but when we are open to share vulnerabilities and our areas of of struggle you know i'm also careful that we don't overshare because sometimes it's it's an oversharing which needs to be in a, in a private you know but just the place of being vulnerable with one another and and sharing areas of struggle and the challenges that we have i think it opens the lines for communication for direct communication and once the conversation is going on then it makes the process much more you know much smoother and 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 the process it's easy for everyone to embrace the process because they realize that all of them everyone is at the same you know at, at different levels of the same journey and and it's possible then for the organization to be able to move to move uh, to move forward so leadership has to model leadership has to demonstrate vulnerability leadership has to embrace the 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 constant learning leadership has to be willing to unlearn some things so that they can learn afresh but also the conversation of what is it that is going to remain the same and what is it that is open to to change, change yeah yeah i like that the conversation aspect that there's yeah. always room to have yeah. a two-way conversation about what we can do what about you steve how have you relearned or how have you created a learning environment for your teams yeah i think uh, just echoing what he said is yeah knowing what is core the vision and the mission is the same the how of the mission mission rather can change and just being as the leader affecting and showing that need to relearn and learn i think in the team i work with they know the things that i'm not strong in and i've shared with them the willingness to learn from them i think showing that aspect because i think we have this notion that as a leader you have to know it all uh, know every in and out have a solution to every answer uh, every question raised but now exposing or showing them that this is an area that i am learning in and growing in, and maybe you are best place to teach me i think that gives that aspect because they see if my leader is willing to learn 
who are mine not to learn. Uh, the willingness that comes from the leaders in own initiative to show that I am learning, let's learn together. I think builds more uh, cohesiveness and, and just that culture of learning because they see all of us are human. I think they, be, they take away that effect that the leader is a God. He's a human being. He or she is a human being and they are, are learning things. We are on this journey together. Yes, they are my leader. However, we are learning together and I think that's what has worked for me because the team I work with, no, uh, we learn together. The things I learn from them, the things I learn from me and I I think that culture builds that whole aspect of all of us are growing towards a particular goal, which is set. And we're all growing together in a, in a more holistic way. I like that. This is such an extensive conversation and we want to give leaders the space as well as the tools to grow and have this conversation personally and with your teams. We chose to start here with season two of our podcast because it's important before we look at leading outwardly that we actually look in the mirror and identify areas of dysfunction or function within ourselves in order to be able to lead in the spaces that we're in. So because this is an extensive conversation, we are going to advocate and ask you to look at our show notes for further tools to equip you as a leader. But the key takeaways for today is you have to have people around you that are able to give you unfiltered feedback. You have to be able to have one person in the room at all times who can just tell you like it is. But then we also have to have the willingness and the foresight to go before ourselves and ensure that we are creating a culture around ourselves where we can learn and learn and relearn. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Be sure to send us your questions by sharing an email with us or going ahead on our Twitter or our email addresses and being able to as well share feedback on that. Until next time, thank you for being a part of the conversation. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Big on the Inside podcast. To find out more about ICC Nairobi or the ICC Nairobi podcast network, head over to our website at iccnairobi.org. Or you can send us a text message with your feedback or questions on our toll-free number 21210. We would love to get to hear from you. We hope that our podcast conversations are encouraging you, whether you are an aspiring leader or a seasoned leader. Always be sure to check our show notes for extra tools as well as additional notes on ways you can lead in your space in an influential way. Until next time, thank you for joining us.